Our latest audio documentary is coming to this podcast Monday, April 25th. It's on Tony Davis, one of the most legendary wrestlers to ever come out of Chicago. And growing up in Illinois, folks, everyone knew about Tony Davis, but few knew about his reality growing up on the south side of Chicago. And that's what we explore in this documentary. I can't wait for you to hear it. It's a three-part series coming Monday, April 25th to this platform. It's called Escape from Inglewood. Be on the lookout for it. The trailer's dropping next Wednesday. Young women want the opportunities to, you know, not only have the choice to come here at Iowa, I think it's the greatest place to come and, you know, represent women's wrestling in front of a community that would be behind them 1,000%, you know? But um, women just want opportunities, you know, just like men. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is Clarissa Chun, the head coach of the University of Iowa women's wrestling team, She's also an Olympic bronze medalist and a world champion back in her competitive days. This interview was recorded at Carver Hawkeye Arena back in January. Uh, the video version is live on the Hawkeye Wrestling Club Inner Circle Portal, and the audio version is what you're about to listen to. So I hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to Royce Williams, a Chicago man and a listener of this show. Royce, thanks for the message on LinkedIn. I greatly appreciate it. Folks, this episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is your nutritional insurance policy. With one scoop of Athletic Greens in the morning, you take care of 75 vitamins, minerals, superfoods, and it tastes delicious. You mix it up, slam it down. You don't have to take vitamins for the rest of the day. Athletic Greens is now a sponsor of this podcast, so go to athleticgreens.com slash WCML and get a one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. Again, athleticgreens.com slash WCML, you get a one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of Athletic Greens. Check it out now. And that's it, folks. Let's get to the interview with Clarissa Chun. Beautiful. So welcome to the podcast. And if you go back to the beginning, Hawaii, first state to sanction women's wrestling, and you were one of the first, if not the first state champion, what was your introduction into wrestling? My introduction 
was when I was middle school to wrestling. Uh, my teammates from judo wrestled in high school. So we'd go and support them and watch them at dual meet, tournaments, uh, state tournaments. And as a middle schooler, I would see like around them one or two girls walking around like wrestling, wearing a white t-shirt underneath the singlet because it was a men's cut singlet, stuff like that. And yeah, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think like, oh, I want to wrestle. It was just more in support of my teammates, you know. Um, there was a teammate of mine, like I would beat him in judo, but he would beat me in wrestling. And when I did learn wrestling, but uh, it was, yeah, like something that I felt worked well together, like mm -hmm. as far as using wrestling and judo, judo and wrestling. And yeah, it took me a while to like get into the sport. What was like the big moment that, that flipped the switch for you? Uh, when I, so I was a swimmer as well. And swimming and wrestling was in the same season in high school. And what flipped the switch was making it to states in swimming, but not even being top eight in like the events that I like competed at, you know, maybe in the relay races, maybe, you know, but not winning it. So I'm pretty competitive, even in swimming when growing up. I still had the mentality, I don't care. I'm just going to out swim everyone, work harder, like swim fast, like more strokes, whatever. Uh, and then, so that turning point came my sophomore year. And I was like, you know, maybe I will give wrestling a try. Because the wrestling coach has been asking, like, come out, you know, because mm -hmm. he knew of my judo background. And for whatever reason, I was like, no, I'm, I swim, you know, and I've known this swim coach for a while or like, kind of grew up like she was my swim coach and didn't want to leave the team right. didn't want to leave swimming you know and try something new but it made sense it was like oh why not try it you know and never looked back were your parents competitive people no not at all you know like my mom was a cheerleader dad ran some track but not competitive at all I have an older brother that did judo he never wrestled He's the reason why I kind of got into judo. He did it. I wanted to be like my brother and do it. He stuck to swimming, you know. He mm. never got into wrestling. But sometimes I wonder how that would have gone. So when you went to college in Missouri, did you finish there or did you move to the OTC during that? I moved to the OTC after my junior year. So I finished up at UCCS, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and trained and went finished up school there. And who was your, who was your main coach there? Uh, I, in Colorado Springs? Yeah, or, Colorado Springs. Uh, Terry Steiner. Yeah. Got it. He was, he was the first women's national, first and only so far, you know, women's national team coach since it was announced that um, it was going to be an Olympic sport. Prior to that, there was a lot of coaches that coached women's wrestling on the national level, like Coach Mike DeRoe, Coach Rob Eider, Coach Joe Corso. You know, Jack Griffin, he coached at Northwestern at that time. So there was a handful of guys that were helping the women before it became an Olympic sport. So, What was your experience like when you just like getting acclimated to the OTC and, and living in that environment? Elevation. And really, it was one, it was the best option, you know. So you were training alongside your competitors, you know, there was a lot of scraps in the room early, early on, you know, and it was fun. It was intense. It was, I remember 
when we first got there at the training center, and Terry's coming from coaching college, men's college program, not first time coaching women, you know, and we're all there like drilling. And through the drills, we're talking through the drills, like between me and my training partner, right? And Terry's like, we can't have this, you know, like this is not how it's done, you know, like just there can't be like talking during drilling. We got to get some work done, you know. <laughs> so it was just the way, you know, girls were just different in that, you know, in that time in the sense of we, we felt we were working. We thought we were giving each other feedback as as we were drilling, you know. So um, but it was very clear early on, like. Um, we're here and we're not talking through the drills and there are moments for that, but not after every rep kind of thing, you know, <laughs> who were some of the girls in that early class who you were out there with Sarah McMahon, um, Taylor O'Donnell, uh, I would say Tori Adams. She came from Missouri Valley as well. Aaron Tomio, Jenny Wong, Katie Downing, um, a lot of great studs. Yeah, like um Patricia Miranda, right? Mm -hmm. She was a competitor of mine. Um yeah. Is it uh I mean just kind of walk us through what it's like living at the at the training center because I'm sure at first it's like it's new, it's shiny, it's red, white and blue everywhere, but then after you're there it's kind of monotonous maybe because it's you know not many people are doing anything else in their sport. So what what was your experience there? Um I thought it was cool cuz you got to meet other athletes from other disciplines of sports, you know, and me being judo background, they had a judo program at the Olympic training center. So I always thought in my mind, like, Oh, I'm going to find a way to do both practices, but there was no way I could like practices would run at the same time. But I kind of got like geeked out. Cause I knew the judo national team coach. Cause I used to grow up going to his training camps. Cause He's an Olympic medalist. And so, yeah, it was just like, oh, this is great. You know, like cafeteria food is amazing <laughs> and like at your disposal, like buffet style, whatnot. And at that time, they had a gas station and they still do on complex, but they would allow us to like get these like get gas for a cheaper price or whatever. <laughs> it was weird. And before me, before I got there, they actually had like a barbershop on site where athletes could get their hair cut on complex, you know, and stuff like that. It was, it was cool because they were giving you pallets of boost back then. It was boost as your protein shake kind of mm -hmm. refueled and um, boxes of power bars, like those chewy, like what, you know, the very first like power bars there were. It was not like what power bars are like now kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and they would give us boxes of popcorn like every month, you know, and it was just like, wow, you know, like you're getting all these things to because you're trying to attain great things as an elite athlete. So these are the things that you need to start thinking about of how you're refueling your body between workouts or whatnot and and really it was still at its infancy as far as understanding like nutrition and sports psychology and all that um that goes into being a complete elite athlete and you were coaching there from 2017 until a couple months ago right 
And uh, was there a big change from early 2000s to when you got there in 2017? Absolutely. A lot of change. What were some of the big areas? I've seen a lot of change throughout the years, too. Um, Well, one, the wrestling room's completely different. I mean, not completely. Just got expanded, I should say. Um, Like, we used to have to work around all different styles, right? Greco, men's freestyle, and... Women's freestyle would have to share like time slots to work around because it was like three, four mats, whatever, you know, like not full mats. Um, and yeah, to eight mats where we don't have to fight for different times and adjust like if we're going like six to eight and we have to rush to dinner right after practice or go, you know, at whatever times, you know fight for certain times um so that was one change i saw changes just through sports medicine like that whole they call it team five like um the whole team behind the team you know like whether it's in nutrition sports psychology um sports medicine uh i never i don't even know if i knew if there was even a dietitian at the training center when I, in 2002, and now there, there is, and there's dietitians that travel with the team, you know, to make sure that, you know, their weight descent is proper, you know, or their refueling process, like after weigh-ins or in between matches is, is getting them to their optimal. So. And now that, like you said, didn't even know you had one, now they're traveling around the world. Yeah. That's crazy. What about, um, one area I was really curious on is like sleep. Do they put a lot of focus on, on sleep and like not getting up at 5 a.m. and you're know, getting your rest, that kind of thing? Um, early on, I didn't know the importance of sleep. I need to take that and start sleeping a little bit more right now. But <laughs> but they do have like a sleep specialist like that studies sleep and helps, helps the athletes. That's a good point because that's something that was, you know, the whole recovery piece of things I felt wasn't really talked about, you know, as far as, or uh, like, I never learned that piece, you know, of how important sleep is. Yeah. Um, maybe, yeah, you know, like make sure you get your eight hours, right. Right. And whatnot. But I mean, there's people at the training center that like fully study it and give the athletes like the sleep monitor to go like, see what kind of sleep they're having and try to correlate you know, what kind of intensity of the practice and if they're injured and whatnot and just the whole science behind that, that it's beyond me, you know, (laughs) as far as like, that's why, like, so when I was an athlete, like I tracked that for myself by using a heart rate monitor, you know, I get sleep and this is, I learned it from my strength coach. It was like, when you wake up, you know, check your heart rate you know, walk around and start getting up and then recheck your heart rate. And then whatever, like the difference that is, it kind of tells you um, where your condition is, you know. Like, really? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I And I don't know the science behind it all. So Right. But. And so you, I'm just really curious about that, that part of it, because obviously we're going to come back and talk about your competitive career, but you start coaching there in 2017. You're back under Terry Steiner, one of your original coaches. And then at the same time, you get to start working with one of our favorite wrestlers, Sarah Hildebrandt. Yeah. 
and uh, you know she's uh, just awesome. What an ambassador for the sport, and you know she made the Olympic team. We were down in Texas watching. So, uh, what was it like to see her make that Olympic team in Texas? Just based on all the years you'd put in with her. Oh my gosh, she's phenomenal. Like she's so great. Like she really is all in to be the best in the world, right? So it's easy, I would say, to work with her because. Like she's driven to another level, right? Almost so much that it's like, okay, let's pull back a little bit, right? Because there's sometimes you can go to like heart, like too far, right? <laughs> as far as some things, but she's so great because um, she and she, she wants it that bad, you know? And I think like she keeps working at it and working on the little things that will help her get her there she'll get it you know and and that's not even saying technically you know because I think she's she's there you know as far as there's always you know ways to evolve and add to and whatnot but her grittiness though is like she's just so tough what a competitor so you've had to like say hey you're doing too much we need to pull you back a little bit oh my gosh she will overdo things you know on her you know and I don't want to say what she does you know because it's not for me to say but she knows, you know, like a recovery day shouldn't look like she's running for miles, you know, <laughs> like that, you know, because it's like, it's just how she's wired, you know, and it's so great. And I am excited to see her do great and big things. And yeah, yeah. she's amazing person. And um, yeah, I I'm glad I don't get beat up by her anymore, but I also miss it at the same time. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And she just seems like such a, a bright personality, you know, where those training days can get long. And yeah. yep. and so you, you, you're you with her um, as she makes the Olympic team. You were one of the Olympic coaches as well? Yeah. Got it. Is that how it works? Like the Terry and you were? Yeah. Okay. Got it. And what was, uh, I mean, you've been to, you know, you competed in 08 and 12 Olympics. I'm sure you've been to many others. What was this one like? You know, this past, uh, it's crazy, it's this past August, but yeah. doesn't even seem real. Yeah. But, I mean, the U.S. takes home four medals. We had five ever before that. So, I mean, uh, what was that experience like? Oh, uh, you know, like, I love Japan. So that in itself, right? Great country to host the Olympics. In unfortunate times of coronavirus, you know, they found a way to make it happen and let the show go on kind of thing. So that was great for, for like Japanese Olympic committee and the IOC to be able to figure out a way that they don't cancel these Olympics because that was the hardest thing for all athletes to, you know, work through and go through that, you know, they were ready at, you know, that moment. And um, so their experiences were different from my experiences because, you know, they didn't get the opening ceremony, closing ceremony or the village and whatnot, but they had the opportunity to compete for an Olympic gold medal. And, um, I'm trying to think where I was going with it this. It just seems like when you guys were in that, uh, that, um, CD, like the, uh, the area where the team USA was, you know, sitting, it was like the athletes, the coaches, and that's about it. Like it seemed like a pretty intimate group yeah. and you guys had really grown just by the camera flashing to the stands over that 10 days together. Yeah. And yeah, and that's that's just I don't know. Sorry, 
Yeah. I I was going somewhere, but I went down a different way and I lost it. Sorry. We can go anywhere, oh, no man. problem. Yeah, no, that that experience for the Olympics was a bit gutting. Like four medals was is great. It's so awesome. That's like the most we've ever had, you know. But at the same time, it was a little gutting, you know, because Sarah's semifinals match gutted me, oh, you know, yeah. like gutted her, you know, and so proud of her to bounce back and come back and get that medal, you know, after it's, I know that feeling. That's the, that's, that's tough, tough, hard, right? Like literally had, had that semifinals match, right? And then even Jakara's match for bronze, you know, like. That's tough, you know. I've been in both their positions in the sense of know what it's like to lose in the semifinals match of the Olympic Games and know what it's like to lose the bronze medal match in the Olympics. And for me, it's like, yeah, four medals is great, but I know they're, they, you know, there is so much more, you know, that they're great, you know, and still very proud of them because it doesn't, at the end of the day, they're still the people that are who they are, you know, and I love them for who they are, not what they achieve. So, and it's, it's just a pro their process, you know, I, you know, and I told Sarah, you know, it's in a weird way, it was wrestling saying, you're not done yet, you know, and had you got that gold medal, maybe, you know, the world would have missed out a little bit more of you out mm-hmm. there on the mat, you know. And just for her to get herself mentally ready to get back for that bronze medal. I mean, that must be the biggest roller coaster of all time. Oh, gosh. And was it overnight or was it like a daytime four-hour break? So for me, it was a daytime three-hour break. So that I couldn't recover from. So that was just, that was, oh. Um, And her? For her, she had the next day. But it wasn't easy. It was a long night. You know, she, she had her get her weight down with the emotions, you know, imagine the stress that did to her body, you know, as far as like going through all those emotions and having to like get her weight back down to reweigh in for the next day. But at the same time, glad we had that time mm-hmm. because she made that choice that the next day is a new day. You know, we have to push this thought emotion aside for just at least one more moment of a match so it won't rob her another like feeling or make her feel this way again you Mm -hmm. know so yeah and I for me I remember Terry saying to me when I lost semifinals match at the Olympic Games you're still fighting for a medal you know and it's so true and and sometimes in those moments it's like not the medal that I wanted, you know, not the medal that I want. But then when you're when you're on the flip side, you also know what it is to not get that medal. So it's like, you know what? You're right. Got to get the next best thing, mm-hmm. you know. And when you when you told her you're not done, it kind of reminds me of what I had read. You were thinking going into 08, you thought I'm probably done after this. Mm-hmm. Win, lose, or draw, whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you lost to, is it Isho? 
Yeah. In the semis, you said, even though you were heartbroken, you're like, I know I'm not done. Why did why'd you feel that? Because I felt like I was better than what I put myself out there and showed myself, you know, or in that match, right? I was like, no, I know I'm better than that. That's the worst feeling is knowing there could have been more or maybe in Sarah's case, the worst thing is she felt like she just choked or stopped wrestling and just got away from her, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I don't want to speak for her, but, you know, whatever the case is, I wanted to rewrite that wrong, what felt wrong, you know, to me, that that, that wasn't me out there. And it's like, I want to show that I'm better than that, you know? So. And then a couple months later, you're back in Japan. I think it was in Japan, right? Yeah. In the semis against Japan. Yeah. And you get the job done. I mean, that had to be just, you know, a crazy, uh, a crazy feeling going, knowing what you had gone through. Yeah. You know, and I don't ever discredit like the world title at all, but I always felt like I was ready to win the Olympics, you know, um, and that's just that was just my feeling. So it felt good, you know, to to get that, you know, two months after. I think it was just fire and hunger and like in the sense that I got to make it better, you know, mm -hmm. um, rather than it making it feel like a consolation prize, you know, Um so did you wrestle straight through to 12 or did you take some time off in between 08 and 2012? Um, I took some time off. I, um, so, cause I thought I was going to retire in 2008. I committed to teach English in Japan. So oh, wow. I, so the world championships were in Japan. So I kind of pushed moving to Japan back, you know, till after the world, I was supposed to go right after the Olympics. And then when I knew that I was going to compete in the world, I was like, okay, I'll come after the Worlds, went to Japan, taught English for a shorter while than I, you know, agreed to do. And it was because I wasn't done yet. So, but I had to see if I could try to do both, where I teach English and train in Japan, because I thought, no better place to train than with the best in the in the world right now, you know, and... And that was hard. It was hard to do both. So you were doing like a full time teaching job, like you would here in the states, like yeah. a seven to three, and um, yeah, it was a full day. It was like seven to three. They would let me out early. The other teachers would work till five sometimes. Um, just depends on the teachers. Seven to three, and I went to college wrestling practice at four, and then six o'clock. 6.30 around. I did kids practice. I helped coach that and then go home by nine. And so it was wow. like, yeah, it was full days. And I just felt like it wasn't the right way to do it. If I was going to, if I was going to continue on to 2012, it was just too much and too exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Two things you said there I want to hit on. One is you were doing a kids camp. I got to ask, what are, what's it like going to like Saudi Arabia or some of these places you've done clinics for Fila? Uh, one was a refugee camp, right? One, yeah, for United World Wrestling. They don't like saying Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's the dirty <laughs> word. My no, bad. No. UWW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that was so... When was that? That was July of 2019, going to Jordan, um, to Amman, and then we went up to... Um, 
Syrian refugee camp. Oh my gosh, why am I drawing a blank? Azraq. Yeah, Azraq. I had it written down. I was yeah. looking for it. Yeah, Azraq refugee camp. And that was just, ah, man. You know, I just wanted to like take everyone with me and put them on a plane and bring them back back to the U.S. That's just how I felt just because these kids, a lot of them were born in that refugee camp. You know, a lot of them were very energetic and like uh, just tough, man. They just, you know, survival mode. You know, I went there with, I brought candy and clothes and shoes, wrestling shoes, everything. And um, I learned early on not to just like open it and say here free for all because they would fight each other and it was like coaches were like no 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 and it was like let us hand this out because this you know like and I didn't you know because I don't know what it's there I didn't know how things were done there their culture and what they're going through and it was pretty eye-opening in the sense of very kind-hearted people too you know they like for people who are fighting for so much, you know, they also, they they had water running only certain times of the day, you know. So when the water was on, and I didn't realize this, when the water was on, they would pull me, come, 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 you know, like, and this, they're like sweaty from running around and doing some wrestling drills or just playing, really. It was what it was with some wrestling drills and stuff, trying to keep it fun and mm-hmm. nothing technical or anything. Um, because of the importance of the like just having activity for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they would pull me aside and like, come, let's go to the bathroom, you know. Look, the water's on right now, so now's our time to like freshen up or get clean or you know. And it was just like, wow. yeah, like things that we take for granted that we don't even have to think about, you know, like resources that are at our fingertips, like. like water you know mm-hmm. um so we've done a few things for beat the streets and like when we leave like you know our, our heartstrings are being tugged at you know and you just feel like wow like it's i'm sure that was like that times like 10 and like what always sticks out to me is just like the upbeatness of everyone despite the situation they're in did you see that there as well absolutely they're fearless too you know like upbeat <laughs> and fearless climbing things jumping off things i'm like man they would great wrestlers they're super athletic and fearless and like tenacious in everything they're doing like going they're just go-getters and it's uh you know and they all had different personalities but you can you you saw it whenever like there were moments you know like they brought food out and it really was just you know like we you know want to get our hands on whatever we can right I mean, I can't even imagine wrestling in a refugee camp. I mean, that's like, that's an incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what's so great with United World Wrestling and, and their development department is that they are trying to reach out and find, you know, how to develop wrestling and give opportunities to kids, people, women, you know, all over the world, you know, that don't have wrestling and try to introduce that to them because it's at a low cost of, you know. Low barrier to entry. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like in Saudi Arabia? That was cool. The women were awesome, brilliant, smart, young woman. 
that I had. So it was a coach's course, mm. you know, it was coaching coaches. So these young women came in wanting to learn how to coach wrestling, even though they have had no idea what wrestling is as far as like what to do, you know, like where to be, not a stance, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Are women allowed to compete in sports in Saudi Arabia? Women, yeah. Are they? Okay. Yeah, in some sports, they have like taekwondo, judo. Um, they have some combat of sports, but the thing is they have to be coached by women, mm. you know. And so Saudi Arabia has a men's team and they have quite a big group of guys I, that I saw that were wrestling in um, Riyadh mm-hmm. I was in. Um, so these coaches came and they they coached CrossFit, cycling, you know, um, Taekwondo, one of them. Um, so they were curious about wrestling, you know, they're like, and they thought they were going to like wrestle 24-7 or learn about wrestling, you know. And because it was a coach's course, it was a little bit of a methodology and philosophy of coaching kind of thing. So there was like a lot of like um, coaching skills um, and obviously taught them wrestling skills, you know, um, because it, it's they got to know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, very basic, like a wrestling stance, penetration step, um, and then had them kind of like research and look things up, f- help them find where they can get resources from, like whether United Royal Wrestling's website or like Instagram handles, whatnot, right. um, YouTube, whatnot, you know, because of the internet, there's so many information available to everyone across the world. And with the coaching skills and tools that we give them, it's like, okay, um, now go out and find something you see and like teach, you know, your counterparts how to do a certain technique, you know, and, and that they're, they're great. They ask a lot of questions. They're smart and they're just, same great energy good people mm-hmm. and yeah um then i got to um hear about like their government pouring in money into developing in the sports like so they are creating kind of an academy there they've created an academy so they can identify young talent and try to develop them um, because the government is starting to pour money into sports because they just want to give young athletes opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, on the Olympic level. So And so we, we talked about some places where it's grassroots, refugee camp, Saudi Arabia. You've also spent time in uh, the motherland for women's wrestling, Japan. And uh, I'm, I don't know if you've seen the highest level training over there. At the, if you've been to their Olympic training center, do they not allow? Yeah. They no. do. Yeah. We've had a really big camp. Um was it was it March 2019 I believe and yeah we're I don't even know how many countries it was a big camp it was the first time they've ever really opened their doors to a big camp like that um, right. yeah so so like in, in men's freestyle obviously we we watch the guys from Dagestan and you're like man what are they doing differently same with Osetia um, you know Japan fill me in on what you've seen just some key fundamental differences between you know the Japanese women and the U.S. women in terms of training and uh, in approach? I think on the technical side, they are very detailed as far as positioning. You know, I think 
they really key in on that. Like sometimes when we, I think we drill and we're, you know, maybe we need to like slow it down and like key in on the finite details of the position, you know, um, because sometimes when we go too fast, because, you know, our pace is like, go, 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 execute, 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 right? Sometimes when we go that fast, maybe we're not really feeling each position and we can miss or fake what we really understand, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's one thing I think. But they're hyper-focused on like every detail. I, yeah. Uh, Wow. I think so. Yeah. Like looking from out in, watch, having seen them, it's it's about very minute positions, you know? Like, you know, if I'm 10 degrees this way, like what what do you feel that where should I lay, put them down or how or whatnot, you know, mm-hmm. which direction do I take them or whatnot, right? Just for example. Um, what about the live wrestling? Do they go live as much as we do? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been, well, and sometimes you don't really know, right? Cause when you're there, they, they're going to run it how they want us to perceive it. You know, right. um, I've been, I've t- taken development age group over to Japan where Sayori Icho, I mean, Sayori, Sayori Yoshida, <laughs> I blended the names, Sayori Yoshida lives, um, in Nagoya and she has her Sayori cup, the first cup like tournament she had in Mie Prefecture and and this is like kind of recently I was done competing but I was still really 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 active and um I took a development age group uh they did 52 two-minute goals it was like like half on half off though so but it was still a lot right like yeah and I I actually got pulled into one of like a lot of those goals because there was a kid that I taught in kindergarten there, like in Japan, mm. that was now in high school. Wow. His name was Raya or is Raya and saw him and it was just so happy to see him. I had, it's been like 10 years since I seen him, give or take, and ended up wrestling with him for a few of those two minute goes. And then once I was in all these other girls and guys started wrestling me, you know, like, you know, like reaching out their hands, wanting to shake, like, can we go, you know? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, this is fun. You know, like for me, you know, even though, and it really, that's just kind of their, their mentality in the sense of we want to wrestle like, you know, it's, it's all respect-based. Yeah. Like I felt that way, you know, in the sense of, you know, like if Helen were to go there, they would want to get their hands on Helen, you know. They know who she was? Oh, you know, yeah, they absolutely, they'll know who she is. Yeah. You know, I, for me, I'm like, I'm, I was removed, you know, like I, the, these are young athletes and it's what, how many years? I would say it was like six years since I, meddled at the Olympics, you know, and give or take, you know, longer than that, than from when I won a world medal, um, in their country, they know, they know, you know, they're like, they, I don't know. I feel like if they didn't know, then their coach told them, 
hey, she's wrestling, go, go ask, you know, mm-hmm. and then maybe say who or whatever. They kind of, they pay attention to that kind of stuff. But, you know, the Japanese, they train hard too. They go hard on the conditioning, you know. Yeah, they can slow it down and be in detail, but they are doing conditioning and ropes. And we take in our development age group athletes to where Sayori trains in Nagoya, and they got two people stacked on on their backs and they have to run, you know, like piggyback style. Yeah, one on each hip and run, you know, like it's kind of the thought these young athletes, you know, that were 15, 16, 17 years old are like, no, that's not possible. I can't have two people on my back. Give me one. It's like, nope. You know, and it's like one person's holding to make sure the person doesn't fall over face first because after one jumps on, the the second person has got to jump higher onto the next person, you know? Wow. So they're going hard too. Yeah. Wow. In a different way, right? And so sometimes it's mental, like, mental physical push at the same time, right? Like, because to think, I'm going to carry two of you on my back. Like, <laughs> right. like why would I want to do that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Reminds me of uh, the Brains Brothers running up a carver with people on their back. Yeah. You know? Which brings us obviously, though, to you're wearing the Hawkeye, the Hawkeye colors. Now you're the, you know, the first women's head coach ever at the University of Iowa. Biggest moment by far in women's history, women's wrestling history. Um you know, I like to study coaches, and uh, one of the coaches I studied, Bill Walsh, the 49ers coach, he said that when he was a coach at the 49ers, he rarely slept more than two hours without waking up with an idea and not being able to go back to sleep. Are you already seeing some signs of that? My gosh, day one, it was like, I told Terry Steiner, now I know why you don't sleep, because I always felt like he slept late, woke up early, and I'm like, dude, you never sleep. Yeah. So Already? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your, uh, so you were hired, we all watched the press conference, your start date was supposed to be February 7th, you moved it a month early. What's your focus been in the past uh, couple of months? Everyone wants to know. Oh, building the team, you know, whether it's the staff and the athletes at the same time, trying to, trying to get it all, you know, but not doing it too fast because I want to make sure I do it right alongside with learning the rules and understanding what I can and can't do, you know, and what's available and what I can give, you know, or... In terms of, like, recruiting and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, um, it's it's a lot. I could have a list of things of, like, who I want to call and just even have conversations as, like, where do I even begin, you know? Like, right. Like, how much do I want to start with, you know, like on the team, you know, what number is too much or not enough, you know? And like with the staff, I already have an idea of like, you know, being able to trust them, their values and their philosophies, you know, and just seeing where it aligns with what I have envisioned as well. So got a couple of questions from the Hawkeye nation. I want to ask you. So first season be 2023, 24 will recruits be on campus next year training as a red shirt. Yeah, okay. I that's the plan. So you have a team next fall, basically. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Do you know how the the like, is it going to be dual meets where it's like UWW worlds where it's two men's weights, two female weights, or like how is it, how are the dual meets going to work here at Iowa? Yeah, yeah. What's Between the men and women's program. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I think it'd be sweet to do like uh yeah maybe one twenty five through one forty one, 
and then female matches and then i don't know like i was just wondering if you guys have thought about that and no i think that's a little down the lines i feel like i i'm still here trying to build the base you know foundation, yeah, foundation of that all i think every, like that's gonna come down the line and that would be fun to kind of explore and like figure out how like how it could work and what would make sense to give the community like a great showing you know mm -hmm. of both programs so yeah and uh, it'll be freestyle freestyle and um do you think it's going to be part of what's the organization out uh that does the college nationals for women well there's um wcwa is like a woman's college and there's the nc i was thinking of wcwa so do you and i probably wait too down the weeds but do you know are those schools going to be competing as well or yeah um yeah, I like because we don't have any other Big Ten schools or whatnot. There's two two other Division One schools. There's like over forty NAI schools. There's over forty NCAA Division One, two II, and three schools. Um, so I imagine you know dueling maybe Iowa Westland, maybe Grandview. You know, just kind of yeah like surrounding areas and maybe going out like life university one national duels maybe like having them up vice versa whatnot that's kind of what i am thinking you know because that's like where women's wrestling is right now um and then hopefully the other big 10 schools and other power five conferences start like mm -hmm. opening their doors to women's wrestling and then we can like have it you know maybe I don't know. That would be interesting. What what comes of it, right? Like, how could a Penn State Iowa women's and men's dual meet look? You know, at Carver. You know, we could make it so much longer because, like, a duel is awesome. It's too. Sh it's short. You know, I mean, you could do you could do three intermissions. You know, it could be like a like a UFC car. There's 20, 20 bouts. You know, that'd be awesome. Um, I just like how UWW does it for the World Finals, where it's like you know two Groucho, two free or whatever it is. You know, they work yeah. everyone in. Yeah, yeah we gotta get. Like John and Kale, John Smith and Kale Sanderson, let's go get these yeah. programs started because it's yeah. gonna be gonna be here soon. Yeah, I think so. I had some recruits in yes last night, and as we were leaving, uh, we were, we left out the tunnel where the visitors like locker rooms are. Um, I wasn't with that recruits. I was like down the hall, but they come running back, and they're like, "We saw Kale." I was like. Oh gosh! Oh no! And they're all decked out in Iowa, right? It's like, oh no! What are they gonna say? They're like, "What well, and how'd it go?" And they're like, "We told them, you you need to start a women's wrestling program." And and I was like, "What did he say?" And they're like, "He kind of like was grumpy at us." And I was like, "Oh man, maybe you threw him off guard, you know? <laughs> it was, you know, just coming off of a very intense duel, you know, like that's." Probably he wasn't expecting you guys rushing him and yeah. giving him like grief about starting a women's wrestling program, right? right. So, um, but yeah, it's funny because they, you know, they're fans. Yeah, they're yeah. fans, and they want it too, right? They these young women want the opportunities to, you know, not only have the choice to come here at Iowa. I think it's the greatest place to come and, you know, represent women's wrestling in front of a community that would be behind them 1000%, you know? Yeah. But um, women just want opportunities, you know, just like men. Yeah. 
it's a it's a beautiful thing. And the last thing I'll say is I know you went to the Iowa high school tournament yeah. uh, last week. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Which, I mean, you look at, you know, top high schools for, for uh, women's wrestling. You know, California's been dominant. Illinois is tough. Iowa's on the upswing. And they had a pretty big turnout. I just want to wind down with this 30 seconds. And what was your uh, what was your take on going to the Iowa women's high school tournament? Ah, uh, just pure excitement and joy, right? Just from not just the athletes, but the coaches that coach them. You know, there are male coaches in their corner, like, like jumping up and down and just very into it and passionate about, like, you know, these women getting to do what they're doing and being able to showcase that and every the energy behind it, the, their teams and whatnot. So, um, yeah, big things to come for the future of women's wrestling. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a food supplement that you take a scoop of it, add it to a glass of water, mix it up, And with that, you have your daily supply of minerals, vitamins, your superfoods covered. So it saves me the hassle of taking a bunch of vitamins, and it tastes delicious. And now that they're a sponsor of this podcast, you can get a one-year supply of vitamin D drops along with five free travel packs if you go to athleticgreens.com slash WCML. That's athleticgreens.com slash WCML. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Wrestling Changed My Life.